Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. There was a time in my life not so long ago when I would have described myself as not political, which is to say that for most of my life, I've been decidedly unsatisfied with the two dominant political parties in this country, both of which fell short in representing the ideals and goals that are most important to me. I voted and tried to be an informed citizen, but I avoided quote-unquote political conversations because they seemed to me just another way to divide a country that was already irreparably fractured. But this past weekend, I came across an essay by Jamie Green that both challenged my ideas about politics and reminded me of how much I've changed since the days when I prided myself on being apolitical. Jamie Green is the series editor of the Best American Science and Nature Writing, and the essay I read was her foreword to the 2019 edition. As an aside, the good people who put out the Best American series, not just for science and nature writing, but for all kinds of writing, are doing some truly fabulous work. I just finished their 2020 edition of Short Stories, which was packed with fiction that felt like an electric current through my veins and made me eager to get back to my own fiction. If you need to feel inspired or assured that there are still good, thoughtful people in the world creating meaningful work, pick up one of the best American anthologies. What I have loved about every single one of these series is that the forewords and introductions by the editors are just as worthy as the stories they put together for the collection. Jamie Green's 2019 contribution is no exception. She begins with an anecdote about a longtime reader of the series who notes, not happily, that the series has become more political over the years. I was not the reader in question, but a handful of years ago I could have been. I have never enjoyed political debates, never aspired to a career in politics. My one summer working as an intern in Washington, D.C., when Monica Lewinsky and Kenneth Starr were in the news daily, only made me more certain of this. Politics depressed me, and so I pursued things in writing and life that I perceived as outside of politics. But Jamie Green pushes back on the idea that anything is outside of politics. She writes, We may desperately want science not to be political because that seems simpler and more pure, but if science teaches us anything, it is that simplicity is an illusion and that ignorance cannot be a resting place. Science has not gotten more political in the last few years, and neither has this anthology. What has changed is the sense of urgency, a rechanneling of energy from blurring political meaning to, as a planet and as a people, admitting that we are fighting for our lives. Remember that Jamie wrote these words for the 2019 edition, which means that she probably penned them in 2018. But her words are eerily apt for this moment we are living in right now. She goes on to say, Science is political because it demands action from power. Readers who don't want science to be political share much with people who say, I don't see race. It is a privilege to be able to live your life in a way that race is not a factor. And it is a privilege to be able to turn off your TV or close your computer and think that politics has no bearing on your life. That means that you feel safe 
and it means that you're not worrying about the people who aren't. Jamie says to try saying science isn't political to the black mothers and babies in the United States who are dying at more than double the rate of white mothers and babies, the subject of one of the essays included in the anthology titled The Hidden Toll, Why Are Black Mothers and Babies in the United States Dying at More Than Double the Rate of White Mothers and Babies? The answer has everything to do with the lived experience of being a black woman in America. Today, we could easily add the question, why are black and brown people dying of COVID-19 at higher rates than white people? Or even, why are black people being killed by the police at higher rates than white people? The answer has everything to do with the lived experience of these people in America. Jamie says, stories like these are elegy and alarm, mourning what we're too late to save so that we might open our eyes to the next victims, hopefully in time. We're in a moment as a nation of elegy and alarm, of mourning what we are too late to save. It's a moment that should push us to question the idea that anything is apolitical and challenge us to figure out how we can be on the right side of politics and history. Like it or not, our political system has a history of favoritism and specifically of favoring white, wealthy Americans over pretty much everybody else. This was true when Christopher Columbus landed on these shores, and it's true today. This is not to say that we haven't sometimes stood for noble and even admirable ideals, but that's not the point. This is not the time to talk about how great we are as a country. It's the time to talk about how we can do better. And this, I think, is the rub with the idea that any of us can be truly apolitical. If we try to say that criticizing our politics is un-American, or if we opt out of politics altogether because we don't like to think of ourselves as political, then we are missing a great opportunity to open our eyes and do the hard work of creating the change we want to see. We are absolving ourselves from the responsibility to demand action from power. Jamie says that the essential question of politics is, what do we owe each other? She quotes Kayla Chadwick's essay, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people, and asks, would you pay an extra 17 cents for a Big Mac so a McDonald's employee can earn a living wage, or do you just want your cheap burger? Would you sacrifice an oil company's profits to preserve a national monument's untrammeled space? We don't individually get to answer that second question. So we rely on elected officials to care beyond themselves, too. We have a responsibility as citizens of this country to make changes in our own lives, small steps toward being the kinds of people we long to be. But no matter how clean our own living is, we won't see change on a grand scale until we can engage in the systems that created them in the first place and that shepherd those systems today. We may not be the type to attend protests, but there are other ways we can be advocates for change. We can write to our elected officials and persuade them to make hard decisions that will prioritize all people. We can give our dollars to people who are on the forefront of that change. We can vote for people who will make it clear that justice is non-negotiable. Last week, Forbes magazine put out a story called Fighting for an Anti-Racist Future Together. By Jordan Brooks. I'll put a link to that story in my show notes for today, and I encourage you to check it out. 
Jordan outlined specific actions that you can take right now, from calling elected officials to donating to supporting Black-owned businesses. Pick one today and do it. Tomorrow, pick another. Put the list in your fridge, on your calendar. At the end of her essay, Jamie writes, If anything, I want this forward and this book to be a celebration of the power of telling stories of research and discovery, of human ingenuity and dedication and wonder and hope, and the possibility of change. That vision is pretty hopeful to read and also pretty hard to imagine right now. But what if we allowed ourselves the permission to go there? To hold up the dream that when we look back on this time, we see a lot of grief and injustice. But we also see stories of research and discovery and human ingenuity and dedication and wonder and hope of people using their privilege to make real change possible. What if our children could point back to this moment in history and say, this is when things finally began to change, when people stopped being complacent and actually did something, not just once, but day after day for a long time until the change finally happened. I think the gift of daily sanity today is to hold on to the possibility of change, to ask as Jamie did, what do we owe each other? What can we do for each other right now, today, and tomorrow? How can we listen better to what our black brothers and sisters are saying? How can we act on what they've been telling us all along? Let's find a way together to be in this for the long haul, to remember that though we are sometimes cynical and depressed, we are also resilient and capable, imaginative and dedicated, compassionate and determined, committed, finally, to the possibility of change. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, the best way you can support it is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes so others can find it too. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. I am so grateful to be sponsored by a small local business that isn't just committed to making great wines, but to making this world a better place. Get 10% off your order when you use the promo code SHELTER at brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com. When you buy wine, you support this show and also other businesses that are working toward more sustainable living. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.